2: Hi listeners, welcome to the Rise series by Melting Pot in collaboration with India's largest urban network of public-private partnership schools, Akanksha. With 30 years of serving over 9,800 students from low-income communities, Akanksha now runs 21 government schools in Pune and in Mumbai. With a focus on quality education and holistic development, Akanksha is not only expanding its school network, but it is also reaching out widely and influencing changes in the educational space. We at Melting Pot are privileged to share Akanksha's impact on various levels of the education ecosystem through our RISE series. And we're happy to share with you some such resilient, independent, strong and educated women from Akanksha. I'd like to thank the founder Shaheen Mistry and the leadership team of Akanksha to come on board for RISE, presenting Season 6 of Melting Pot. Hi, so today I'm in conversation with the CEO of Akanksha Foundation, Saurabh Taneja. Thank you so much for joining me today, Saurabh.
3: Thank you so much, Payal, for having me here. Excited about the conversation.
2: Yeah, and I'm excited as well, because as I mentioned to you before we started recording, out of the entire Akanksha Foundation, as I mentioned to you, I've interviewed students, the leadership team, and I've also interviewed some teachers. They're all women. So (laughs) now the spotlight is on you. (laughs) And uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation to understand your perspective, being the CEO of such a fascinating foundation where the focus is so much, not just so much, but entirely on education. But before we go into that, like I do with all my guests, just a very quick background to you. would be interesting to start the conversation going. That's one. And two, also, you know, I I have come to understand that you studied to be an engineer and then went into education. So how did that come about? So, you know, maybe we can kind of bounce off with that and then get more detailed into Akanksha. Sure.
3: I'm happy to that uh, with my own journey so you know i was born and brought up in the city of jaipur in the state of rajasthan you know as it so happens that my grandparents had to move from you know pakistan at the time of partition and they came to be settled in uh, the state of rajasthan so you know my grandmom has had a huge influence in my upbringing and my parents both of them you know so we belong to a middle class family I went to a regular private school in the city of Jaipur. Both my parents work in State Bank of India, or rather retired from State Bank of India. So, you know, until about 2007, you know, my life was just full of the regular choices where, you know, I was just like learning to become an engineer, get into IIT, do the best that I can, you know, support my family. And I think it was during the days at IIT that I started having an interest in engaging with kids from underprivileged backgrounds so we used to have like you know in IIT Delhi we had these national social service you know hours 100 hours or so of service that we all had to do while we were completing our engineering course and you know we used to have these weekend sessions where we used to engage with kids in the vicinity right so they used to come to the to our hospital campuses and you know a few of us would just volunteer our time. Look, I have to admit that I didn't do a lot of it, maybe like four or five occasions, but I think it just sort of stayed with me every time that I engaged with them. Took up like a regular corporate job for a couple of years in the city of Bangalore, really enjoyed it. Uh, That was my first job. And again, during that time, on the weekends, I started volunteering. And this time it was with Anganwadis, which are the daycare centers in India, where you will find the little ones, you know, who are left, by their parents who have to earn on a day-to-day basis. So I I would volunteer over there on Saturdays and Sundays. And that's when, you know, I witnessed something that truly shifted my mindset and really, you know, got me to reorient my life choices itself. Uh, I came across this Anganwadi worker while, you know, she was an ayah, lived in the vicinity of the center itself. And, uh, you know, the whole center is marred by delays in, Receiving the Russian supply. So the kids were not getting what they were meant to. You know, she's a single woman having to take care of 20, 25 kids. So it's a lot, right? So we just used to go in and help. And one of these days I noticed that, you know, she was serving the kids with rice that she brought from her own home. And when I prodded and really wanted to understand what she was doing and why she was doing it, her responses bowled me over. Coming out of her sense of care and compassion, her poverty notwithstanding. And I think that left, you know, like a very deep impression on my young idealistic mind. Yeah. I was still yeah. 23, 24 years old, and I really started reorienting my own life choices that what was I doing if I was doing it. And that brought me to, uh, you know, the other side of career, which is, you know, I quit corporate career and I look towards the education sector and you know, started my journey as Teach for India fellow back in 2009. And since then, of course, I've stayed committed to the cause of education. I realized that, you know what, this is what my purpose is. I would rather spend my life figuring out this complex challenge, you know, in India where millions of kids are going to school, but are not learning. And uh, there is just no straightforward answer to that. Sorry, that's a long-winded response to your No, question.
2: no, but absolutely, you know, worth it because it, it sort of gives a very, very interesting kind of shift and, and understandable shift from the corporate world into education. And no, so it's it's very, very interesting. So what was your experience like with Teach for India?
3: It was life-changing. And I know it might sound a bit dramatic.
2: Very quickly, <laughs> what exactly? So, were you like a fellow for Teach for India? Okay, okay, right. Yeah. yeah.
3: So, so, as uh, you know, in my journey as Teach for India fellow, I taught for two years in a government school classroom in the suburbs of Mumbai. In fact, it was in Bandra West, which is, you know, like a real stark contrast between uh, well-to-dos and, and, you know, yeah, uh, the well, families living uh, in poverty. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, I taught a bunch of 55 fourth and fifth graders during that two-year period and it was nothing short of life-changing, primarily because I came to face-to-face with learning about the real challenges of educational inequity. What broke my heart so pile was the fact that, you know, there were these brilliant kids, you know, coming from extenuating circumstances very eligible smarter than I was working harder than I did in my growing up years and yet their pathways were so far and few in between that it just broke my heart and you know that's when the seed of thinking about my own school wanting to set up a school of my own to allow for kids you know, who would eventually either drop out at the end of grade seven or didn't have many options to go out beyond grade seven from a government school. That's when it took shape. And and that sort of led to my next step, you know, in my career. That said, I think, you know, I was absolutely blown away by the commitment from the parents as well and their desire and willingness to see their kids succeed. I think we just underestimate the tenacity of the, uh, you know, families living in poverty of how much they want. Like their ambitions are pretty much the same as my parents' ambitions for myself when I was growing up.
2: Yeah, which is what came through to me as well during all the conversations that I had with the students. It You know, the clarity that every one of them that I spoke with gave so much credit to their parents. And the fact that the parents you know, completely uneducated. They've come from villages or not even, but they are again, below the poverty line. They're uneducated, but a desire for them to want their children to be able to come out of it and make something out of their lives. And again, girls, You know, which again was the focus for me and a revelation that all these parents and, and the girls were, had the freedom to be, and they were pushed by the parents to become a part of the Akanksha system. And then they've gone out to do so much else beyond, you know, and, and so, yeah, so I, I can completely, Now understand your point about how, you know, the parents played such an important role. So sorry. Yeah, go ahead.
3: You're spot on right. And I think, uh, you know, those two years, really convinced me of one thing that in this whole broad complexity of educational inequity in a country as vast as India, my heart lies with making a difference in the lives of the kids and their families. And I came to believe that school, an excellent school, is a brilliant unit of change to realize that vision. India is full of complexities and there are thousands of organizations working at scale. And the unique aspect of Akansha Foundation that drew myself towards its mission was the power of the school as a unit of change and what it could do to transform the lives of kids. And that's what sort of drew me into Akanksha in 2013 when I set up my, you know, the school under the Akanksha Foundation, a standalone secondary school at that moment in time. And, and you know, I led for four years as a principal of the school as well before moving into the role of the CEO. Oh,
2: so where was school? the school?
3: School was located in Pune. So so it was focused very much and you know, the seeds of this whole thing took shape at, when I was a Teach for India fellow. Between 2009 to 2011, you know I was fairly driven to see that several of the schools in the cities of Mumbai and Pune, the government schools ended at grade seven, right So there was just like very few pathways for kids to complete their grade ten. like can you imagine in, we're talking about cities, I'm not even talking about rural India yeah. and, and you know like with that intent is what we started in partnership with the Kansha Foundation and a couple of our corporate supporters and Pune Municipal Corporation, which is the Pune city government came together and set up. The first such school, and we started with just about 73 kids, you know, and today it caters to about 240 kids, you know, every year. And it's not just a single school like that. There are about 10 more schools that have flourished in the city of Pune. But that was the first model in and of itself.
2: That's amazing. And so so in terms of bringing about this change, in terms of creating awareness, in terms of getting permissions, how challenging was it for you?
3: So, you know, we've we've realized one thing while working with the government that, uh, you know, the permissions will never come on time. So you just need to be someone who is okay to take the risk and run with it. And once you have convinced the kids, once you've convinced the parents, then it's hardly the government folks will ever go back, right? Like they will always support you. They will come along, but, you know, don't expect them to take the lead and be proactive in making all of these things happen, right? So, you know, I took it upon myself, you know, I left my job, the previous one, and I relocated to Pune. I was working without a salary for a period of three to four months before, you know, my formal salary started coming in. So in the month of February 2013, I said, you know what? I'm just going to do this. I don't know if anyone else is going to be there to support me or not, whether it's the government, you know, let's just take the first step. let me put just put the stake in the ground that I am here to leave the school and I will found it and I will run with it no matter what. Gradually, things started falling in place over the course of the next five months or so where we found a donor. You know, in fact, we were supported by the Poonawala Foundation and everybody now in the world knows them because oh, they're the sorry. manufacturers <laughs> of Covishield. Yeah. So, you know, in fact, they were the seed funders for my school for the first couple of years, uh, you know, and then Akanksha Foundation took the school under its own umbrella. And, and then the Pune Municipal Corporation also had to sort of, you know, grant the permissions and everything. Like, so, but like right from the process of bringing in every single student, going to their homes, convincing them to come by traveling six kilometers which is not that easy, pile, you know, in the context of, you know, like you were talking about adolescent girls, it wasn't easy to, you know, convince them to send the girls in a public bus, get them the passes, you know, and the school, uh, pile, this school that I started, ran for almost nine hours in a day. And the reason behind that was that the the kids were coming to us in grade eight or ninth, and they were so far behind because of their previous schooling experience that, You just couldn't run a school for five and a half, six hours. It would just be nothing, right? And if you had to really give them all the experiences, they need to spend more time in school, in the school building. That's what uh, we started with. So, you know, but I think like after the initial hiccups, like it all pretty much settled down by the end of six months is what
2: I would say. Yeah, yeah. And then in terms of because I think I've spoken to a couple of students who graduated from the school that you're talking about. And so they're more than just the academic curriculum. Uh, They seem to mention that there was a lot else. So, you know, it was a very holistic experience for them. And so how did you kind of manage to bring all of that together? You know, was it challenging? Because you would have had to use a lot of different experiences of different people to try and bring in whether it was sports or whether it was drama or whether, you know, the other sort of extracurriculars. How did you manage to sort of imbibe that into the system of your school?
3: Uh, Spot on uh, point. I, I absolutely believe that, you know, schooling, has become like a preparation for life, whereas it ought to be schooling is life. You know, you can't just prepare and wait for life to happen. And therefore, the children who are coming into the schools just need to love, uh, you know, what they're learning, why they're learning and how they're learning, right? So all those three things need to intersect and that's not an easy thing to do at all in our system. So I think just the flexibility of having like a long school hour and like almost five and a half to six days a week of school allowed me to sort of program the school in a way that we were able to devote 80% of the time to academic learning and 20% of the time to the rest of the activities. And the question was, how do we really look at 20% of these activities that allow for the students to make choices, explore, and experience various elements of it? And then how do we expose them to some of the master classes or experts, at least in the city, if not the country, to come in and teach them, right? So we had like almost 11 clubs running in the school at the same time of the day, right? So it was Thursdays and Fridays, 3.30 to 5 o'clock. You just had to pick one club for a period of three months and then change it later on. But you could experience every single one of them. And so then it also
2: exposes, yeah, yeah, it exposes the the child to so many different uh, experiences and they could have a talent for one, they could like one, not like the other. So yeah, no, it's... And I think that's what generally is a trend with parents of kids who also go into private schools, you know, to just from a very young age just expose your child to all the different kind whether it's sports or music or whatever different activities and see where their talent lies some may shine in something others may shine in multiple different activities or you know so yeah so no so you you kind of try to bring that in to your school as well yeah which which is very interesting. And I think it also, you know, to allow these kids to basically grow as individuals is is what probably helped as well through the school. So then coming back to, uh, so once you became the CEO of a Kangsha Foundation, then what was your, is not was, but what is your role as the CEO of the foundation. You're listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe with me, Payo, on this very unique and special podcast series, Melting Pot. It's Uh, multiple schools, right? It's not just that one school. I think Accounting Foundation has, what, 21 schools? uh,
3: 21 schools going to 27 as we speak.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that must be a huge challenge for you as well.
3: It was initially, definitely. So the way I have looked at the whole role pile is that it's about extrapolating the vision that we have for our children in the next decade from just a single school standpoint to the network of schools. And so if we were to really think about what is it that children in India need by 2030, What are the skills, values, and mindsets that they need in 2030? That should be our guiding question across the country. And in in Akanksha, we sort of arrived at that answer by, you know, like a very consultative process at the intersection of industry, college experts, you know, our own staff members, educators, and research. And we arrived at the student vision framework in Akanksha, where we talk about three key tenets of a graduate of Akanksha. One is a sense of mastery a sense of autonomy, and a sense of purpose. So these are the three indicators that Dan Spring describes in his book, Drive, that keep you on the path of, you know, self-motivation and learning throughout. And these three are like the key tenets. And within this, we have the skills, values, and knowledge indicators that go in. So, you know, once you really have that and align the whole network that this is what our aspiration is, all other elements of, you know, the role of the CEO flow from there on, right? And
0: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC.
1: For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Borough purchase at borough.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at borough.com slash ACAST.
3: It's about investing our supporters in the vision and the mission of our network. It's about supporting the Capacity building of our teachers, our principals towards that end when we are hiring for people, we are looking at how do they align with our student vision? Do they believe in this as the aspirational goal, or do they have conflicts with, you know, a very traditional definition of success of a student in 21st century? So, you know, like once you have clarity on that, so I think my first and foremost goal was to arrive at that, build a buy-in and an investment across the organization of about 500 people in that division, and then go about, you know, garnering resources, you know, figuring out internal processes and systems to be aligned with that, and really keep in every single decision of ours, the children and their well-being at the center. And I think that I was able to take in from my role as a school leader, right? If if I hadn't done that, I don't know if I would be on a day-to-day basis serving the mission of keeping the child at the focus.
2: Yeah, I think it's important to experience it yourself, to to have firsthand, you know, firsthand experience before, and then you're able to, I guess work because you have a better understanding of it right so then you're so how challenging was it because obviously you know when Akanksha started and it started with Shaheen just going into these lower community lower community housings and you know teaching like 5, 10, 15 kids to Akanksha growing into what it has today and you have played a very big part in helping with this change. What were the kind of challenges that you faced during the process of bringing about this change? Were they like tangible? I mean, it could not have been easy. I'm pretty sure about that.
3: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when I look back in hindsight, it might seem it happened and it was a part of the process and it was a journey that, we had to undertake. At that moment in time, I think the first and foremost that I have to mention, Pyle, was that I hadn't had any experience of leading like a team of leaders, right? So everyone who now sort of became a part of my team were leading their respective teams as well. And I think convincing, you know, people getting their buy-in through a consultative process was arduous and challenging at the same time when you begin to lead like a people- You know, like a group of folks who've been around in the ecosystem for a long time, they're fairly experienced, they're experts at what they do. So, you know, like you have to be able to carve out that sense of respect for what you will bring in to add as value or contribution while respecting their contributions as well. So I think that's the first and foremost challenge and something that I had to work through my way over a period of good 12 to 18 months, I would say, or rather, I still think that I think it's a constant work in progress. The second one is like really getting people to shift their beliefs and mindsets. I, I believe that, you know, we cannot expect our educators who themselves grew up studying 20th century mindsets to teach the kids 21st century beliefs and mindsets. It's just not possible. How is that possible? Like, you know, when you went through your own schooling experience and rote learning, how are you going to teach someone to think critically right? when you've just not had that exposure and being able to you know, create spaces and opportunities for people to engage in that dialogue and discussion and be aware of your own biases and prior experiences before you begin to take that leap in doing things differently requires like a psychological safety and and to build a culture that allows for that sort of psychological safety. And I think that was my second part, you know, beyond the team, across the group of you know, bunch of educators who had their own prior experiences how do you build that right to really get them to examine their own teaching learning practices and how does it... i think the third was that i had never engaged in fundraising or garnering support on my own before i took on the role i have to say though i think you know it did not really turn out to be the most challenging part <laughs> i was able right. to uh, you know like work alongside Chip, you know fairly quickly given her own experience and you know like she created like a good enough space for me to sort of find my own feet and and really learn the skill of being able to you know position and pitch what we do in front of the new supporters as well so so I think those were the three things that I've found to be the most challenging files
2: and as you mentioned it's still work in progress right (laughs) it will always be yeah yeah (laughs) No, I think, and I think you're making fabulous progress. So, so credit to you for that. And of course, the rest of the team. So do you have like a teacher's training program in place? Before you, you know, the teachers actually go into the system and get assigned to the different government schools, is there like an Akanksha created program for the teachers? And does it have to be approved by the, would it be the education ministry or, you know, some somebody in the government?
3: Right. Yes, we do have an Akanksha teachers training program, which we call as Practical Week. You know, and I think there's a a reason why we've named it that. I think it's a three-week onboarding come induction, come training plan where any of the new teachers spend about 10 days learning about the core values and the basic tenets of the Akanksha way. Sorry,
2: and how much experience do they need to have in teaching before they can even apply for a job with Akanksha?
3: We actually don't really look at minimum number of years of experience at all. So we are very open. As long as you're just like meeting few criteria that we have kept in mind and we do like a teaching demo, which is like a very crucial part of the process. So if you demonstrate the competencies and the skill to be able to learn, whether you've never taught before or you've been teaching for last 10 years, it doesn't really matter to us. I mean, there are a few government norms about the kind of degrees that you do need to uphold before you, you know, come in. And given that we've become like a big network, not there is greater scrutiny on that. Apart from that, I think we don't really put like a high you know, number on the number of years of experience.
2: Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So then you were saying that you have like a three week schedule. Right. And, and then at the end of the three weeks, the the teachers get assigned to the different schools.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, in, in all our cases, generally the teachers already know which schools are going to be placed in at the oh. time of the hiring itself. So they've already been assigned and the assignment, the part of the practical week, half of it, they spend with their school team. Oh, okay. We want them to be fairly integrated in the culture and the learning and ethics of every single school operates slightly differently from each other under a common guiding framework. And, uh, you know, it's a very tight-knit community at the school level. So we, you know, uh, let them become integrated at, that, at, that, at, their, at their respective school for one and a half weeks before they actually get into the classroom and start teaching.
2: You did mention that you're looking at 27 s- schools as we speak so are you only going to focus in uh, Mumbai and Pune or are you also looking at smaller towns are you looking at going into villages it, I mean what's your what's your long-term goal for the foundation
3: right so by in fact the third city that we have set up operations in six schools very recently is the city of Nagpur. In okay. Maharashtra.
2: Okay.
3: So, look, we are an organization that has deep experience in serving the urban poor communities. Mm. So, we do intend to stay focused on urban poor, at least in the medium term, which is the next three years or so. We intend to stay focused within the state of Maharashtra and in and around Mumbai, Pune, Nagpur, maybe Nashik as well, to take our schools outings from 27 to about 35 schools. Uh, I think all of this totally depends on the government permissions as all well coming in, like post-COVID plans of physical schooling are also like, you know, I'm questioning its relevance and what all we can do. Yeah. So, so we don't intend to physically geographically expand to rural or, or, you know, like villages in India. I think it requires a very different contextual understanding and expertise, which our team doesn't have. And we need to be humble and respectful of that. So our focus is going to be here. That said, we are in the process of identifying different low-touch ways in which we can scale Akansha's practices and learnings in partnership with the government and other organizations. So, you know, like I think given the rich experience that we have over the past one and a half decades, there's a lot that we have learned and we are now in the process of codifying that and sharing that knowledge, you know, with the government, as well as with other organizations to take the programs ahead. Art for is a classic example, you know, where Ruchi has been putting the curriculum and the materials together for almost a decade. And it's already expanded because of adoption by, you know, the whole central government teacher training portal. It's a technology portal called Diksha. And All the resources are available over there. There are three organizations that have adopted that entire program. So I think we're looking at some of these scalable initiatives and programs that can get embedded in the government system to scale instead of expanding the whole school model in and of itself. So so yeah, that's, that's how we are thinking about growing. Our aspiration is to be able to touch a million children in the next five years or so, you know, through various initiatives that are possible to scale going forward.
2: And currently there are 10,000 or? Yes. Oh, 10 so
3: 000. we we serve, we serve somewhere between 15,000 kids. Okay. So 10,000 kids who are learning in our schools and about 5,000 alumni who have graduated from Akansha School.
2: Yeah, wow. It's it's fascinating and you know to be at the helm of change and to actually uh, be moving forward with it and thinking beyond, you know, like you mentioned beyond the the boundaries and allowing this kind of exposure for the kids and I think Saurabh is just absolutely commendable and I I mean one of the reasons why I, I even thought about doing this series with Akanksha is because you know I, I believe in I've, I've kind of heard, read, understood a lot about Akanksha and I thought that it would be very interesting to start with Akanksha Foundation, because I think education plays such an important role in in change, in in improving people's lives and allowing them to go into mainstream, which I can see a lot of the Akanksha kids have, have been able to do. And they've kind of reached amazing heights. They're now studying abroad. I'm aware of the UWC scholarship program. And, you know, so I think it's It's allowing this movement and that's what excited me and I thought that if through my medium I'm able to give a voice, I know Akanksha already has that, but this would be a completely different medium. And if I'm able to, to sort of share some of these experiences and thought processes and achievements with, with my listeners who are global, I thought it was worth doing and worth the effort. So, so I'm really excited putting this series together. And yeah, yeah it's just been wonderful talking to you, Sora. Any sort of last few things or thoughts that you would like to share with the listeners, whether it's about education, whether it's about Akhamsha, whether, you know, if you if you would like people to reach out to Akhamsha in whatever form, you know, is the need of the hour, please do go ahead.
3: First of all, Payal, thank you so much for your generosity and your uh, commitment I absolutely understand that this has been a long and a time consuming process for you as well in you know speaking to so many of our stakeholders in giving your listeners an opportunity to understand akansha from the very top all the way to our kids and students and alumni along with our leadership team members and I really wanted to express my heartfelt gratitude on behalf of the entire Akansha Foundation in Putting this whole segment together, file really. Thank you. So, so, first and foremost, you know, like really thank you for your generosity and your commitment. Second, I just want to leave your listeners with one truthful, harsh reality of India. You know, nine years ago, I realized that I was one of 100 kids in India who managed to get through to my undergraduate education. That's the ratio that we are talking about here in India. And when I thought about it, when I really learned about it, I just realized how privileged and lucky I was to be born in a family where I could afford an excellent education and go through with that. You know, and very recently, I came across this graph file where I think it was published in one of the you know, leading uh, economic journals. It said that in India, to, to overcome intergenerational poverty, it takes seven generations to be able to beat poverty, right? And when you really think about these two statistics, it's disorienting and it's harsh and it makes you poignant and pessimistic. In Akanksha, we are changing that in a single generation. We have enough data now to really put forth in front of the world where 150 of our alumni have completed their undergraduate program and majority of them are employed in roles that you and I are going to be proud of. And that's the mission that Akansha has taken that can we develop such high quality schools that will in a single generation uplift not just the child, but their entire family out of poverty. And with that mission, you know, we just plow on day by day and really, you know, wait for the seeds that we sow to yield the fruits, you know, in in 10 years time. And therefore, you know, to, to, to your listeners, my only appeal is that if there is any way for you to engage with a cancer by volunteering. We love having volunteers from across the globe. You know, if you can just visit our website, you can volunteer. Right now, we're in the process of, you know, distributing tablets for our kids to continue learning from home, as well as getting our community or their children's parents vaccinated. So if you would like to, you know, make a monetary contribution in any way, you can do that from our website as well. And third, the only thing that I would say is that if all of us can find a way to continue to raise our voice to end the inequity, find a way to get our kids across the country to learn, I have realized that, you know, when uh, people who are well-to-do start speaking about the ones who don't have enough power, that's when the change starts. So, you know, use your Twitter handles, your LinkedIn account, as well as, you know, all the other social media handles Mm -hmm. to just continue to... Are in the next decade where most of our kids are
2: learning fantastic on that note I think I have nothing else to say after this thank you so much Sarah. seriously learned a lot from you as well about you know the the whole process and it's wonderful what you're doing and good luck with what lies ahead I'm sure it's going to continue to to grow bigger and be more and more in line with what the Akanksha, the Akansha vision is. So, yep. Good luck with that, and thank you so much for talking to me.
3: Thank you so much, Piyal. Thank you for having me here.
2: For more weekly conversations, do listen to Melting Pot on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on YouTube and on Instagram at Podcast Melting Pot. So until the next episode, this is Payal signing off.